Well, thank you for allowing me to share with you tonight. I feel a little awkward wearing khaki pants, but, uh, <clears throat> but it's great to be among family and uh, friends and brothers and sisters. Tonight we're going to talk briefly about the greatest act of worship that you can do before your Heavenly Father. So if you would, turn in Romans chapter 12. And just as a brief introduction, as you know, Romans is the first of Paul's 13 epistles. The four gospels speak of the words and the works of Jesus. Romans speaks of the significance of his sacrificial death for you and I. So as you prepare to go to the Lord's Supper tonight, consider that and consider the things that we're going to discuss. <clears throat> the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is more than facts to be re to believed. It is a life to be lived, a life of righteousness in response to the fact that we have been, according to Romans 3, 24 and 25, justified as a gift by God's grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Romans reveals God's sovereign plan of salvation in the first eight chapters, how Jews and Gentiles fit into that plan in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And then in 12 through 16, it exhorts believers to live lives of righteousness and in harmony with one another. So in this book, Paul moves from condemnation to regeneration, justification to glorification. It's incredible. From positional truth to practical truth. And so in chapter 12, we're beginning the practical truth. So look in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The key to spiritual victory and fulfillment in your life is not getting all you can, but it's by giving all that you have and all that you are back to the one who has given himself for you. After 11 chapters of astounding and profound truth of what, has, what God has done for believers, Paul says this should be your response your reasonable response. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, <clears throat> it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's not about getting more of God. When I was in college, I was a huddle group leader at a national FCA conference. I had a young man who was in my huddle group come up to me who was a member of an Assembly of God church. 
And he was telling me that though I had been saved, I needed to have a second act of grace, something greater than what I already had. And I was not a real mature believer at the time, but my response to him was, if when I received Christ, the Holy Spirit came to indwell me and he indwells me now, what more can I have but God? The Holy Spirit, God himself living within us. So it's a matter of presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice to give him all that we are and all that we have. It's about total commitment to Jesus Christ. We read in scripture, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, an instrument of death, daily and follow me. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. Jesus said in Matthew 16, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. For to me, to live is Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And finally, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In Romans 12, 1, he says, I appeal to you. It means I urge you, I beseech you, I beg you, Paul is saying. The word, the Greek word there, is actually from the same word where we get paraclete, which is used of the Holy Spirit. It's one who comes alongside as an encourager, as a comforter. It's really a word of tenderness and affection. And Paul calls them as fellow believers and brothers. This appeal to them carries the authority that he has as an apostle. Yet it's with tenderness and love to his brothers. It's similar to what Paul said to Philemon. In Philemon, he says, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do that which is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. I have the authority to command you, but out of love for you as a brother, I'm simply appealing to you that you listen to me and what I'm about to say. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? I would encourage you this week to go back to chapter 1 of Romans. In preparing for this, I wanted to go back and see what the therefore was really there for. And I went through each chapter verse by verse and wrote down verse after verse. Y'all may think that's a challenge. You know, Blake hands out books. We read books, sometimes just for entertainment. How long is a typical chapter of a book? 15, 20 pages? In my Bible, Romans, it's 15 pages. The whole book. 
It's the greatest news in all the world. Don't fail to pick this up and read it over and over. Take it verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and understand. Let me give you just an example of what the mercies of God are. In those first 11 chapters, we find out that God has extended his love toward us. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love has been poured into our hearts. And I could give you verses for every one of these, but we don't have time or I'd be here a long time. He, and think about these as I mention them. I'm going to give you about two seconds to think about each one, but what does this really mean? We have received God's grace. We have received the Holy Spirit. This is all in the first 11 chapters of Romans. We have received the peace of God. He has given us faith. He has given us comfort and power and hope. Patience, his kindness toward us, and glory, and honor, righteousness that does not come from us, <laughs> forgiveness for our sins, reconciliation. We were enemies, now we are sons. Justification. Security, eternal life, freedom, resurrection from the dead, sonship, and intercession. And that is not an exhaustive list. That's just 22 things that I picked out of the first 11 chapters. They are mercies, meaning that they are not what we deserved. We don't receive what we deserve, but we receive this in Christ. Incredible. What should be our natural response is those who have received the infinite, unending, eternal mercies of God. Well, I believe it is out of overwhelming gratitude. <laughs> gratitude to give ourselves as a living sacrifice to God who has given us all in Christ Jesus. The psalmist in Psalm 116, verse 12, asked the question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? He's really saying, I can't think of anything that I could do for God that would equal what he's done for me. And that's not what God asks us to do. He just asks us to respond in a proper way to what he has done for us, to give ourselves back to him that frankly he owns because he has bought us with a price. In Ephesians, the first three chapters gives the doctrine. And then in verse one of chapter four, we are encouraged to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. The word worthy there, the Greek word, really speaks of a set of scales in trying to balance the scales. And based on what God has given us, live a life in such a way as to try to balance as much as we can. The scales will never balance it, but it's to live in a way to do that in appreciation and gratefulness for what God has done. It's doctrine that we learn in the first 11 chapters. I don't know about y'all. I hope when you hear the word doctrine, that doesn't sound like stale academic exercise. Doctrine is truth. 
There is no basis for our behavior without truth. 1 Timothy 4, 6 says, You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine. Titus 2.10 speaks of them that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Psalm 119.11, Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So after having scaled the wonderful heights of truth in those first 11 chapters, Paul, I think, in just a crescendo of emotion and joy, says in Romans 11, 33 to 36, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now in response, with all gratitude, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. When Paul is speaking, he is speaking to fellow believers Only believers in Christ can be a living sacrifice to God. Before our bodies can be given as a sacrifice, we must first have given our soul to God and receive salvation through Christ. To come to Christ and receive him as Savior and Lord, to receive the salvation that he offers, an unbeliever can never be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable because his sins have not been forgiven and he is not indwelt by the spirit of the living God. Present your bodies. It's a temple term, speaking of what the priests used to do of presenting an offering to the Lord, surrendering up an offering. If you're a believer, God has your soul secure. What he wants is your body in which your soul exists in this life. Romans 6:12 as a redeemed believer it says do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Your body is not just that which we can see. It includes our minds and our will. Our soul has been redeemed. Our bodies have not yet been redeemed. We are, according to Romans 8:23, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body when our body is finally glorified and the Lord takes us home. Sin still resides in our mortal bodies, but we cannot allow it to reign in our mortal bodies. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... Sorry, I've got thin pages in this Bible. Slaves are the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. 
I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. First Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. First Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. We are involved in spiritual warfare every day, and we must engage in the battle. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I hope you understand that the God of glory who bought you, who saved you, indwells you. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. A perpetual offering, not something you bring once like an animal that's laid on the altar and burned. God is not interested in a dead smoking carcass. (laughs) What he wants is a live, useful tool in his hand through whom he can work an offering that never dies and is never consumed, an offering that is given daily, over and over, moment by moment, a willingness to say to God, I will live the rest of my life without anything that I now hold dear, if that is your will. Abraham was an example of that. God gave him a son of promise with great blessings that were to come. And then God told him, take Isaac, your son, your only son, and put him on the altar. And by faith, Abraham did that. He was not even willing to hang on to that if God said, kill your son. But in Hebrews, we learn that he was willing to do that because he trusted God's promise. And by faith, he believed that if I kill him, God can raise him back up. Incredible. We are to be, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.10, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We are to give our bodies a living sacrifice which is holy and acceptable to God. Only a holy sacrifice is acceptable to God. Sacrifices in the Old Testament were to be without spot or blemish. God wants all we are brought into subjection and offered to him as a sacrifice out of gratitude for what he has done for us, not a life tainted by clinging to the world, by trying to play both sides 
to hang on to what we can in the world that we think we enjoy and are going to satisfy us at the same time being useful to God. He wants a holy sacrifice which is acceptable to him. Not a sacrifice that is spoken of in Malachi when God says, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. Not a blind, lame, sick, or maimed sacrifice, but one that is of total commitment and pure, acceptable, and well-pleasing to God. Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. With goodness and virtue and generosity, and this, according to Romans 12, 1, is your spiritual worship, the greatest act of worship that you can do. The word there is L-O-G-I-K-O-S. It's a word from which we get logical or reasonable. Given what God has done for us, and we have read about it in the first 11 chapters of Romans, the only logical thing to do and reasonable thing to do just to give ourselves back to him as a living sacrifice. An intelligent, heartfelt, consecrated devotion to Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not elaborate prayers. It's not a liturgy or a ritual. It's not candles and robes and stained glass. But it's giving to God my whole being in all of its expressions, holy and set apart unto him. It basically is to say to God every day, Father, I love you. My desire is to be obedient to you, but I also admit my total dependence upon you because apart from you, I can do absolutely nothing. So Lord, live through me. You and your Holy Spirit who dwells within me, use my hands to serve others. Use my heart to love others. Use my feet to go tell of the good news of the gospel. Use my lips to speak kindness and truth to other people. God isn't looking for our talent. He's not looking for leadership qualities. He's not looking for whatever other gifts that you might have. He wants you to let him out of love and submission work through you, through you for his purpose and for his glory. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Just as your physical body must be given to the Lord, your mind must be given to the Lord for renewal. With our mind, we make choices as to whether we will express the new creation in holiness or allow our flesh to act in unholiness. Do not be conformed to this world, not the globe, but the age in which we live, the fallen, unredeemed philosophy of life. This world is presently an instrument of Satan, and you don't have to listen to much news to figure that out. It's an age of pride and perversion. 1 John 5:19. we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The Greek word, Greek word for conformed here refers to an act of assuming an outward expression that does not come from within. Within, you are a person born of God and saved and the Holy Spirit dwells within you and we should be seen that way. Not masquerading as just a normal person of the world and wearing the spirit of the age instead of 
the Holy Spirit being expressed from within. But be ye transformed, the word is metamorphosis, by the Holy Spirit, by Christ in you. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. How does this happen? The renewal of your mind. Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The key is a renewed mind. And how is it renewed? By the word of God. It's a mind that is saturated and controlled by the word of God. Have you set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth? When life happens, is your immediate response biblical? Philippians 4.8 says that uh, we are thinking about certain things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think on these things. There's only one thing that measures up to all that, and it's the Word of God. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. I would just like to encourage you as members of CCBC. Uh, two years ago, we sensed that we were an unhealthy church. We prayed that God would have mercy on us as a people. And he has taken a group of people who I think have listened to him and have given them an opportunity. I believe Blake, our pastor, is an answer to our prayer a man who faithfully stands here and teaches the truth. And I would like to encourage you that you are here to hear the truth. You have a, we have a wonderful opportunity. We preach the truth, we pray the truth, we sing the truth, we speak the truth. And in this world, we've got to stand on the truth. I would really strongly encourage you, and I'm thankful for you as young adults here who have small kids, who have come to this church that doesn't have a fancy youth building, it doesn't have a f fancy programs. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles maybe that some have. But as I told a group of uh, parents at a youth meeting many years ago, when it's all said and done and our kids graduate and go off to college, I would rather know that we have 10 solid disciples for Christ than 100 who just enjoyed eating pizza and had a good time. The truth is critical. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When our mind and heart are saturated with the word of God and we give ourselves to him, soul, body, and mind, the result will be holy living, which God approves, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, these are words borrowed from the Old Testament or sacrificial language. 
His will becomes your will. And day by day, moment by moment, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service of worship. In closing, this morning we sang as a prep song, And Can It Be? Let me remind you of the third verse. It says, He left His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace, emptied Himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And as we get ready to go to the Lord's Supper, in the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, there's a verse that also says, were the whole realm of nature mine, if I owned it all, <laughs> that would be an offering far too small. Love, so amazing and so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God in gratitude for the mercies of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this great book of Romans. Thank you for the wonderful truth. Father, help us to study it, to meditate on it, to hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. But more than anything, that we would be grateful, grateful to the point that we would give ourselves to you day by day and moment by moment. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.